the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Good morning. Good day. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Let's kick off and take a look at what happened yesterday. The S&P 500 declined. Just a couple of points. Not too shocking. Um, the dip on the S&P 500 could be attributed to Apple. Apple is in the S&P 500. It's market-weighted index, and it's a huge company. So, I used to say as the top 20 companies in the SP 500 go, so goes the SP 500 because it's market weighted. Um, Apple's a pretty big one. So headlines hit yesterday that Apple's now worth $700 billion. So a little profit taking there led to a little profit taking in the SP 500. How big is Apple? It's roughly the size of the economies of Ireland, Norway, and Portugal combined. So. That's pretty impressive. Tomorrow we get the OPEC meeting. We also get Turkey Day. China's Shanghai Composite gained 1.4% today, leaving it up 4.7% for the week. The ECB vice president uh, basically came out and uh, talked about how the ECB could begin buying sovereign bonds in the first quarter. The fiscal fourth quarter earnings report from HP was even more of the same as it featured a 2.5% decline in revenue, but a 5% increase in earnings, and that was helped by share buyback activity. HP's report will command some added attention, as will a rash of economic reports out of the U.S., which has given us some appreciation for what a turkey must feel like when it gets stuffed. We are getting tons of information um, initial claims for the week ending November 22 increased by 21,000. Not a bad number, sitting at 313,000. Continuing claims for the week declined by 17,000 to 2.316 million. A surprising jump in the initial claims with no special factor set up for the increase. So even so, the latest level is not outside the bounds of what would be called healthy. We got durable goods orders increasing four tenths of a percent in October. Good. Excluding transportation, durable goods orders declined at nine-tenths of a percent. So that was a lot of transportation. 
in those durable goods numbers. Um, Non-defense capital goods orders, excluding aircraft, which is a proxy for business investment, declined 1.3%. Uh, a disappointing report on a month-over-month -month ultimately declines in major categories. Uh, personal income increased to tenths of a percent. Personal spending rose to tenths of a percent, less than expected. Spending growth still not all that strong. So we've got a lot of data. The stock market is closed tomorrow, and it'll be open for half a day on Friday. Enjoy your holiday uh, is the bottom line that I keep coming back to. Um, we all deserve some time off, and you know, for better or for worse, Thanksgiving gives us that clean break that we need. The markets are a little bit mixed today. You've got the Dow down slightly and the NASDAQ up 9, while the SP 500 is up 1 point. Again, not that big of a player, not that big of a move. Um, so a lot of economic stuffing, <laughs> a lot of data out there today. Uh, most people expect Wall Street to be kind of range-bound on these kind of days. Not really taking any direction. Um, some other business headlines out there today. Netflix is suing Yahoo CIO Mike Kale, alleged in kickbacks while he worked there. Um, that can't be good. So Netflix sued former Vice President Mike Kale, alleging that he accepted kickbacks from vendors. He's now the CIO over at Yahoo. So they're saying that ultimately while he worked for Netflix, he needed some frauds, breach of fiduciary duties, improper actions. Um, Netflix said it paid IT service companies that were tied towards his ownership. Um, total of $3.7 million from 2012 until Mr. Kale's departure of 2014. Netflix alleges that he accepted commissions of 12 to 15% on monthly fees Netflix paid to the companies. Um, okay. I can't get behind that and, and do much. Here's a big tell for the world. John Deere reported a sharp decline in farm equipment sales. John Deere projected a 20% decline in farm equipment sales for the recently started business year, warning again that the lower commodity prices and falling farm incomes are putting pressure on demand for agricultural machinery. That's a pretty big decline, and Deere posted lower equipment sales for the two previous quarters as well. Slowdown has been most pronounced in the sale of large farm machinery. Um, they're important because they're the world's largest manufacturer of farm equipment by sales. And, you know, the crops course, um, the direction, the course of crops at this point in time is lower. So a company like John Deere lays off people amid weaker demand. Equipment sales fell 6.7% from a year earlier. Operating profit dropped 14% to $1.17 billion. Uh, in the construction and forestry segment, sales rose 23% to $1.88 So it's just the farming equipment is the biggest issue for them. And that's worthy of note. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Samsung is going to sell some units. Um, they haven't done this in a while but they're going to sell some controlling stakes in their chemical and defense units for $1.7 billion. They also announced a buyback. 
um, they're struggling. And I know you're like, oh, but they, they come out with all these phones. Yeah, a little bit of the problem. Alibaba said that they're going to invest more in India as it aims to expand beyond its home country. China's largest e-commerce company is looking to invest more in India as it aims to expand its services beyond the home country. The founder and chairman of the Alibaba Group, Jack Ma, who is visiting India as part of a Chinese business delegation, said he sees a lot of potential in the world's other billion-person economy. So that's how a company like Alibaba can expand, um, make a bigger footprint. So... Uh, Indian business is already the second biggest sellers on Alibaba after China. So it does make some sense for sure. So strength today is seen in healthcare sectors, tech sectors, telecom, and utilities. Telecom and utilities very defensive, healthcare slightly defensive. Um, so weakness is seen in the growth numbers, growth areas, industrials, materials, and energy, consumer discretionary. Again, not too much of a shocker, I don't think, with the headline that came out of the economic data today. Other big stories of note, Tencent and HBO signed an online distribution deal for China. So Tencent is one of those uh, internet giants. So Time Warner's HBO obviously has content, and an internet giant's got people, boy meets girls. So who would have thought that Game of Thrones and True Detective would be big draws for China, but they are. Uh, Tencent does a lot of online games and social networks. You can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. You can tweet me, Rob Black Show. YouTube me, Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. This story is going to make you feel like a mouse crawled in your mouth and vomited. Twitter, the social network, is in talks to buy shots. Selfie app, backed by singer Justin Bieber. Uh, Twitter is interested in shots because of the young user base of more than 3 million users. And they're really female. A selfie app backed by Justin Bieber. Blah. CBS and Dish Network have agreed to, again to extend talks over a new contract, meaning that he thinks Giving Day programming will not disappear for Dish customers. Amazon.com is holding another fire sale, offering its poorly selling phone for $199 unlocked. That's $250 off the already reduced price, and it includes a year of Amazon Prime service. Hertz saw investor Carl Icahn raise his stake in the company to 10.7% from 8.4%, following a successful push for management changes at Hertz. Visa being sued by rival Discover Financial, which accuses Visa of anti-competitive practices. 
I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Let's talk a little real estate. Joining me now, Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. It's BayAreaLoanSource.com. Something that hurt my credit rating, and credit ratings are very important in getting the best rate you can get, whether it be a home equity line of credit, a mortgage, it's important to have a good credit rating. It helps your job. It helps you get jobs. It helps you get rentals. It helps you qualify for a lot of things. A good credit score will even help you get a, a house when compared to somebody else. So it's important to note, recently, I got a, a letter from Bank of America. I had a credit card with them for 17, 18 years, and they said, we're canceling your credit card because those terms no longer apply. I called them and I begged them. I'm like, please don't cancel this. This is the longest credit card that I've ever had. It makes the ones that I've opened in the last three years look older, and they canceled it anyway. So I said, okay, I'll take my business elsewhere. I won't bank with you anymore. Done. But it hurt my credit score. The average age of my credit card went from like eight years down to like three because you took off one of these big, super old ones. And that's worthy of note. Yeah. So what do we need to know about getting the best credit score, some of the ways to um, improve your credit score? Um, you know, get a copy of your credit report first. And you can get a free credit report from annualcreditreport.com or from somebody that you are trying to apply for a loan from. And, and they can analyze it for you and, and help you figure out. Check for mistakes. Uh, that's, you know, it's, they're not big hurts to your credit score, but they, they do add up. Um, for example, if they're spelling your name wrong or they have wrong addresses or your wrong employer. Uh, check for derogatory, too. Um, yeah, th- that's the most important thing for your credit is making sure all your payments are on time. And derogatories will stay on your credit for a longer period of time, especially if they're a mistake. Um, you know, establishing new credit is not always a good thing right away. For example, you were just saying that, you know, you had some newer credit show up as opposed to that older long-term credit. Um, that is a – it will help over time as long as you keep your balances low, which is the, the most important thing. Is, uh, sorry, sorry. The, the quickest thing you can change is the, the balance levels. So you can st- if you want the best credit score for your balances, it's under 30%. So you want to keep your balances under 30%. So as long as you can maintain that for a longer period of time, you'll benefit more. Okay. Some other areas that have a good credit score or that help a good credit score, um, obviously, like you said, maintaining your balances. And I pay my balances down twice a month. So I do it once halfway on the 15th and once at the end of the month. So I'm always like maintaining my credit. I'm always throwing cash at my credit. Just it helps it. Mm-hmm. Um how about credit cards? Are there good credit cards, bad credit cards, or are they all treated about the same? Because no, I know I know mortgages help your credit a lot more. They're than all a credit treated card the same. Okay. Uh, they're going to give you the same rating, and again, it comes down to the balances uh, compared to the limit. Um, I've seen people actually take a one credit card that has a high balance and then spread it over a bunch of other credit cards that have higher limits, and they've improved their credit score. Um, and you could do it quite quickly. You can simply call your let's say you're applying for a home loan and your credit score is six ninety nine. And you need 720 or just or 701. There's a big difference between 699 and 701. And just find out when the creditor reports to the agencies, and then make a payment before that. And then the, the next time, then they rerun your credit. I've done that several times where I priced out a loan, and then a week or two later, we repriced the loan at a new credit score. A hard credit inquiry is actually hurt my credit score as yes. well because I did a lot of refinances. Is that is it was it because of that, or was it because the credit cards I've opened? 
what was it that deemed my credit on it's it's a, it's the it's an algorithm that the credit bureaus use to say okay this guy's out there shopping for something and he he either can't qualify or or he's buying many many things you could still establish credit um, after after a credit inquiry, but it's still not show up on your report. So they may th- be thinking that you're buying a whole bunch of stuff. So it's all part of that algorithm. So credit hits will hurt. Then there's soft credit pulls, which is basically a credit card company saying, okay, does this guy still have a decent credit score? And, and we're going to reissue a credit card to them. Yeah, I was a little surprised Bank of America didn't reissue. Was keeping I'm that surprised. That's one of the first times I've heard a credit card company calling, basically calling the note. And they just said terms changed. Yeah. And I don't even know what the terms were. Maybe your credit score didn't qualify for it anymore. And they did a soft credit pull and said, you know what, credit your credit rating well, didn't not, work. Let's not make assumptions here because you're you're defaming me. I'm kind of important. I just kind of want to I kind of want to assume that it was a, a dinosaur and it just went extinct <laughs> on me. So, but you know what? Actually, okay. Oh, so they closed the line of credit on me. They hurt my age and duration, but they actually helped me because they decreased my total credit availability which is how much do you borrow versus how much is available to borrow. Pretty interesting stuff. Anyway, we're talking improving credit. You can find Tony Mendez. This is what he does for a living. He gets loans done. You can find him at com. It's com. And I'm Rob Black talking money investing and more. Spotify just came out and gave us some information, even though they're private or sharing information. Spotify boosted its revenue at a fast clip last year, but it's... Earnings are kind of the problem. They aren't there. They're still losing money. Spotify had said its net loss was about $71 million compared with a restated net loss. Uh, so that's for all of uh, 2000. No, they restated to 2012. Um, much greater than expected as far as the overall loss was considered. Um, Spotify was established in 2006 and first launched its music streaming application in 2008. It's grown into one of the largest digital music providers next to Apple iTunes, Google's YouTube, and Pandora Media. Despite its fast growth in user and revenue figures, Spotify has posted massive losses since its inception. Um, I would imagine that they come public in 2015. So far, the firm has been raising over $500 million to date. So it would be valued at about $4 billion, which would be kind of chump change for a company like Apple. You can find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Anything you want to talk about today, drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. Or call 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. We'll take a break here. Be right back.
You want to be the cool one at Thanksgiving? Videotape yourself doing the cookie face challenge. It's going to be the next big craze in viral videos. It's starting to pick up. It should pick up pretty much so by the holidays. Shaquille O'Neal attempted to doing it on the Inside the NBA show recently. It's a pretty funny challenge. You start off by placing a cookie on your forehead, and then you're not allowed to use your hands, and you try to move it in your mouth. And it makes for some pretty hilarious facial expressions. So just throw that out there at you. I loved Cookie Monster. Didn't you feel bad for some of the characters in Sesame Street? Like, this shows you my psychology. I thought Mr. Snuffleupagus had a big drug problem because no one, he was never, you could never see him. And he had that, you know, a Snuffleupagus, which he had that big nose thing. And then there was the guy who lived in the garbage can. And Cookie Monster just wanted to eat cookies. Like, he's going to die. You can't just eat cookies. You're going to die, dude. you got to have some health. Where's the beef? Uh, old Clara Peller. She stops by studio today. Worked for Wendy's. Kind of a phenomenon, right? The Where's the Beef Lady? Uh, but we still remember that ad campaign. Tells you the campaign was pretty darn good. Anyhow, um, some headlines out there today. Jobless claims rose to 313,000. Not great news, but not awful news. Um, it's okay. And we're slowly adding jobs in the United States. Personal income was up just two-tenths of a percent in October. That's, again, very weak. Um, let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton talking all things financial. Building a financial base is a concept that we got to get started. We sometimes say, i got an extra $300 a month. I've got an extra $500 a month. How do I get started? Let's talk building a financial base. Yeah, it's it's the key. And this can happen, a lot of times it happens based on a life event where you kind of say, oh my gosh, i got to get serious. Whether it's you have kids, you've been laid off for a while, you win a small lottery winning, you know, whatever it may be, you've really got to sit down and get educated first. Small lottery winning. I, well, I had a friend that went through a really bad couple of years and he contacted me. He's like, I've won the lottery, I have 80000 bucks, right? Okay, that's nice. What's the first thing he does, Rob? Buy his car. Exactly. And he goes, I realized how stupid that was. He caught the show online. And so now what do I do? And I gave him a couple of books to read. You've got a couple of books on your website. Um, you know, Rick Edelman's initial books, The Truth About Money, I think we're good. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, but New rules about money. Yeah, The Truth About Money I thought was better. Really? Right? I think it gets more sales-oriented as he, as he published. But anyways... Um, you got to, first of all, get your emergency reserves intact because a lot of times people end up in a situation, um, a bad financial situation that becomes a house of cards is because they get disil- disil- dis- disabled, if I can get that out. That's easy for you to say. <laughs> I might be disabled myself. Um, or they lose a job for a period of time where three to six months they're out of work and they can't service their debt. They can't put food on the table. They build up credit cards. They ruin their credit and they're... They, they go from a situation that should only be bad three to six months to I've ruined my credit for 10 years. Um, so have your emergency reserves intact, right? That's the first step. Second step is make sure you're putting enough money in your 401k to get the match. If you're eligible for a Roth, you take the next you know, $5,000 that you can save, put it in a Roth IRA. If you can still save more money than that, go into the 401k. As far as what you should invest in, 
in your 401k when you're first starting out, I like the retirement date funds for younger people. Like okay. the, you know, retire 2045, 2050. Freedom funds. Vanguard has them. T. Rowe Price has them. Um, I like uh, T. Rowe Price and Vanguard's much better than Fidelity's. Really? Um, also, if you're trying to find what do I invest in my Roth IRA or my taxable account, I think the free ETFs, the iShares that you can buy at TD Ameritrade, for example, you could, as long as you hold them for 30 days, you can buy them without a trading cost. So go for index. And why does TD Ameritrade do that? Fidelity does it as well. But why? Because the iShares give them a little bit of kickback. The internal fees are like point, you know, zero eight percent, and they get a little bit of that back. Um, so uh, making sure that you build up that first hundred to two hundred fifty thousand dollars, you can do that in index funds and ETFs, which are essentially index funds that trade like a stock. Then after that, you've got to get good at picking individual managed mutual funds. And so there's usually a long learning curve before you try to buy individual stocks. And by the time you get to 250000 that's when you make sure you have a group of trusted advisors. You've got a good CPA. You've got a good attorney. You've got a good fee-based financial planner. And make sure that everybody's working together. And just make sure you're in that phase of accumulating, appreciating assets or assets that give you income. Okay. Accumulating, appreciating assets or assets to give you income. Okay. That's, that's what you really have to focus on throughout your entire life. Stop focusing on depreciating assets like a car. I mean, you know, I buy, I like to drive nice cars, but I right. buy them used typically when they're off a two or three year lease because I can save twenty to $30,000. Right. So, um, you know, look, look at that and say, how am I paying myself first? If I'm, am I always saving before I spend any money? And how do I focus on accumulating appreciating assets? Okay, now appreciating assets, give me some examples. Uh, well, stocks, obviously, especially stocks that pay a dividend. So they're paying you something. I mean, there's no more comfortable way to retire, Rob, than if you retire with enough assets that you can, you don't even have to live off all the dividends from your stocks and the interest from your bonds. Some of it you spend and the other just gets reinvested. Right. Or when you buy real estate, make sure that, you know, it's a good deal if you uh, put you know, 20, 30% down, get a traditional 30-year fixed loan, and after your all of your expenses, property taxes, maintenance, property management fees, you still have positive income. That's not only a positive income asset, but it's something that somebody else is paying off for you. Real that's that's right. the only good way to leverage is in real estate. But people over-leveraged without positive income in, in uh, you know, the last real estate bubble. So, you know, I mean, stocks, bonds, real estate, uh, commodities, those are appreciating assets. Okay. So accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. Anything else we need to know about building your financial base? Stop thinking that you deserve now what your parents already have. Okay. Okay, that's the biggest thing that kids have a problem with. They, they think that I, I'm out of college, I have a new job, I should be in the same house and drive the same car as my parents. That's yeah. the problem that is with our generation. I think the generation beneath us, Chad, a lot more frugal. You know, I think they are, and I think they, they, they're a lot more wise, and we really need to get a better way to educate our kids. Yeah. I had my uh, 12-year-old look at, um, you know, Buffett tried to do that site where he was a cartoon character. Did he? There's a website. That's um, horrible. And the first part of it says, Warren Buffett is my best friend. <laughs> There's a song about Warren Buffett being your best friend. And it was started in about 2010 and hasn't been updated since then. He thinks that they're just terrible. And our kids, I think, are hungry to learn about investments and money, and there's really no good outlet right now. Uh, I'm with you. That's CFP Chad Burton talking, building a financial base. You need to do it. I need to do it. We all need to do it. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. One of the biggest risks that we see out there for companies that are great right now, companies like Apple and Facebook and Twitter, 
you could arguably say they're you know great companies, well-known companies, big companies, whatever you want to call them. Um, one of the big risks is happening, and you should notice it. Like even Google, um, it can be thrown into that and call those maybe the big four tech horsemen. Uh, the man tasked with bringing Apple Maps to the iPhone and Apple Watch has quit the company to join Uber. Uber is a private company that's probably worth about $40 billion. So he's going to get stock options. And he's going to get rich fast when the company comes public. So Brad Moore left Apple last month. He worked as senior engineering manager, Maps Apps and Community. He oversaw the creation of Apple Maps, as well as the teams who worked to release the software on iPhone, iPad, Mac, and upcoming at Apple Watch. Uh, these kind of exits hurt because these are high-level executives, smart people, um, successful at what they've done, and it's retaining talent. It's, it's tough to do. Um, and ultimately, a company like Facebook and Google needs the brightest engineers in the Bay Area, and the brightest engineers are saying, you know what, I can go join Uber for a couple months, they come public, I'll get some stock options, cash in, find another company. Um, Chad Burton has a client, and I've got to be careful how much information I give, but he's ultimately, him and his wife are salespeople for medical device companies. And they'll work with a young company, a startup, get the medical devices into doctors' hands, into hospitals' hands. Company comes public, they cash out, they go to another one. Um... The compensation and, you know, being there early on is super huge. Um, so you can imagine how that plays out. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Big Black Friday is looming. Um, a lot of people go tech gadgets, like TVs. Um, I say get your TV in March after the Super Bowl. Walmart has a great deal on the iPhone 6 if you're a Sam's Club member. You can get an iPhone 6 for $100 with a two-year contract from Walmart, as long as you're also a Sam's Club member. Um, other big deals out there, the Surface Pro 3 for $150 off. Depending on which Surface Pro 3 model you get, you can save up to $150 on Black Friday. Uh, Sprint is selling the Samsung Galaxy S5 for $200 off. Best Buy has the Amazon Fire Stick for just $25, and that plugs into the back of your TV. And it kind of is like a Roku or a um, Apple TV kind of product. You can save $400 on a Samsung TV. 60 inches from Samsung is normally $1,200. You can get it for $800 from Best Buy. Nice screen. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. You can find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com.
couple things that I'm thankful for. This is going to make me sound really shallow, which I promise you I am. Um, retirement plan income and contribution limits are increasing. That's nice to see. This year, the IRS announced higher contribution and income limits to retirement plans for 2015. You'll be able to contribute up to 18000 to your employer's retirement plan next year, and those aged 50 and above can contribute an extra 6000 for a grand total of $24,000. That's nice. Um, next thing that I'm thankful for, if I were to do a top five list, because don't we all love top five, top ten? Don't we love lists? I'm a list person. Stock market's at an all-time high, or darn close to it. Don't expect the good times to continue, and that's fine. You know, you don't have to indefinitely be at an all-time high. The stock market, you know, rise has pushed your stock allocation maybe from 60% of your portfolio to 70% or 70 to 80. You'll want to shift a little money out of stocks and other investments like cash bonds and alternatives. That way you take some of the risk off the table before the next decline. The Federal Reserve is keeping interest rates low, very low. That's my number three out of my top five um, things that I'm thankful for. So not only can this help the economy, it can also help your personal economy by making it easier to refinance if you haven't already. If you've been underwater on your mortgage, you may find that paying down your mortgage and raising home prices um, have positioned you financially in a good way. Number two on the top five financial things that I'm thankful for is health insurance is available to all Americans. We may not like it. It may not be ideal. But I am positive that a health insurance plan out there could be done for all people. Um, this could be particularly beneficial to people retiring before they qualify for Medicare at age 65. So there's less excuse not to get it. New tax penalties provide an additional reason to get it. It's not perfect, but I'm thankful that Americans have health care. And finally, the number one thing that I'm thankful for this year is the unemployment rate's down. It's still higher than I'd like. The latest Bureau of Labor Statistics showed unemployment rate falling to 5.8%. That's the lowest it's been since the start of the Great Recession. Fewer unemployed means less people competing for jobs. So if you've been thinking about a job change, now can be the time to dust off that resume and clean up you know, your online profile. And maybe go try to get a little wage increase. As we gather for Thanksgiving, you know, come up with things that you're thankful for. Um, pull a couple practical jokes. Make your family laugh. You know, uh, if you're going to a family that picks up you know, a turkey from the grocery store picks up a turkey from pre-cooked from a restaurant, and it's supposed to be like an 11, 12-pounder. Come home with like a Cornish game hen and say they got the order wrong. You know, have fun. Uh, make people laugh. Stress people out is <laughs> making people laugh. Um, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Uh, money invested in more. Uh, there's some things that I'm scared of. Oops, forgot we had a phone call. Uh, Anu from Cupertino. Yeah, hi, Rob. Um, hi. You know, I love your show, and I love the tips about fully maximizing your 401k, HSA, um, and all the good stuff. You know, 
I've, now that I've been working for a long time, I'm just wondering, um, how do I go about quantifying the return on investment ROI of a debt-free life? Um, I don't think you should have a debt-free life. Um, I don't know what your question is. I think some debt's good debt. I think some debt's bad debt. I think credit card debt is bad. I think any debt over 8% interest rate is problematic. But I'm all for mortgage debt, and I'm all for student loan debt if you get a degree in higher education, you know, tied towards science or math. Um, it's easily quantifiable on, you know, your return on investment towards, you know, your career earnings. Um, but, you know, you may live a life where you don't want to own a home, and I totally understand that. But I think the low-cost debt nature of it, the incredibly favorable tax treatment of mortgage debt, the low-cost and tax treatment alone, you know, makes it worthwhile. I refinanced my home a couple of years ago that... It's at the point now that, you know, rents are, are you know, $1,000, $2,000 more than my mortgage payment. And that tells you that I'm in a, in a pretty good cash flow position. Um, if I ever need to downsize my life, I could keep it as an income generator for years and years to come. So why are you worried about debt or what's your question about debt? Yeah, I was just thinking if that would be a great, having a debt-free life would be a great motivator to get more into, you know, uh, more active physically, you know, like lose weight and have no stress and stuff like that. I thought if that could be, if you know any cases, it's been a big motivator. Yeah, and I, I kind of get where you're going and thanks for the call. Um, I saw an article recently about a NFL football, and it was a basketball player, who gave up cable television uh, this summer and his computer. He gave up the internet and cable television because he wanted to get into better shape. And at you know, the same time, he's saving $160, $200 a month from cable TV and from Internet costs. And I, I agree with that. I think a lot of uh, people under 35 are a little less reliant on uh, television for their entertainment. And yeah, if you want to get healthier, I, I see the, the motivations behind you know, having smaller purchases and monthly obligations. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. 
your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's Business Leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Stock market has been hitting recent 52-week highs, and I'm thankful for that. With that said, I'm also realistic enough to say, let's look at 2015 and, and see what we should be worried about. And there are some risks, and I want you to know that. With that said, am I staying involved in the stock market? Yes. But here's some of the risks to look for. And I, re- I would refer to this as, uh, if you like to gamble, and you look at yourself as a player versus the house, if you look at Wall Street and you see it as a player versus capitalism or a player versus, you know, the stock market, I want you on occasion to look at the other side of it. Don't look at you and say, damn, I'm hot. I'm doing great. 52-week highs. Woo! I can do no wrong. I'm impervious. Try to look at, like, what can go wrong. So if you can look at the other side, at the way they're looking at you, there's, uh, here's some things that are wrong in the world, you know. For us to continue to go higher, you have to have, like, what's referred to as a Goldilocks scenario, which is global growth accelerates. Monetary stimulus withdrawal proceeds smoothly. Sweet spot for markets maintained as that stealth bull market continues. The reality is, that's the, like I said, a Goldilocks scenario. When monetary policy stimulus ends in the United States, when the Federal Reserve starts to increase interest rates, which is kind of expected middle of 2015 to late 2015, there's going to be a psychological difference in the way companies borrow money, and you borrow money. There's going to be, uh, things are getting better in the economy from a jobs perspective, we don't want to overheat the economy and keep rates super low for a long period of time. So we're going to raise rates. That's kind of what the Federal Reserve does. So here's the big issue to me is, yes, when money stimulus withdrawal proceeds, I don't think it goes smoothly. I think it, it, it psychologically is jarring. You know, there's a crisis that's returning to Europe, ECB, European Central Bank, they're trying, you know, to get a little bit of growth out there with low inflation. Is the market going to lose faith in the ECB? That would create a lot of political tension, slow reform progress, and potentially a loss of fiscal discipline. There's a scenario where China lands hard. Growth fails to pick up with the risk of a financial crisis as China attempts to rebalance its economy. There could be a disorderly market sell-off on the back of a repricing of the Fed rate hiking cycle, i.e. the ending of uh, monetary stimulus. 
So any sort of negative on the stock market, let's say the market's down 5% or 10%, it's down 1,000 points in a week. Dun, dun, dun. Some people would be like, I want to get out now, I want to get out now, I want to get out now. They'll start panicking disorderly. Japan's got some problems with Abenomics. Uh, if Abe loses the election, make a Japan government abandon efforts. Um, that's not going to be a short risk, short-term risk. It's going to be more of a mid to long-term risk. Russia is still Russia. That's a problem out there. And they're acting like they want to return to the days of the czars. Um, so there's some geopolitical tensions with Russia in the West and ISIS in the Middle East. Epidemic threat, Ebola, still out there. Again, it seems to be abating in our news, but potentially spreading and hampering the functioning of the world economy because there's an epidemic virus out there that can kill you. That, that slows down trade, it slows down travel, it slows down economic sentiment. Uh, crisis in an emerging market is a fear that I have that I keep watching out for. If the Federal Reserve tightens, maybe, or if China slow down to one country that's an emerging market that really needs China or the U.S. U.S. growth slowdown, also a potential risk. U.S. economy failing uh, to accelerate would be a problem. The housing recovery is derailed or business spending fails to pick up. Cold weather could hit and shut down businesses and consumer spending like it did last year. So those are my what I would refer to as my you know issues, current state of the world. You know the probability of Europe having a crisis is, is large. The Ebola threat is small. Impact, you know of any of these events happening, it ranges from you know moderate to significant. The worst one probably would be the China hard landing. That impact would be very, very large. So we'll keep an eye on it. And I promise uh, I'll do everything I can to share information with you. Crude oil has fallen to $74 a barrel. It's a blessing and a curse. It is a curse in the sense that it's telling you that there's not a lot of world demand out there. And tomorrow, the OPEC, they're going to meet 12 countries, and they're going to say, do we raise production or not? Do we cut production? And if they cut production, maybe we're at that point where you go, okay, now we're not going to go lower. We have a chance to go higher from here. But if they raise production or keep things status quo and norm, I still sit downside on oil. I think people are absolutely wrong thinking that $75 is a bottom. Um, potential $60, easy. I saw one report out there today who called for $35 oil. There's a company out there called Clinkle. It's a mobile payment startup that uh, had $30 million in funding last year. They're giving away cash to people who sign up for the app. So they're stationed outside a campus dining hall. And you get 20 bills, $20 bills for signing up for the service. The service itself is a bit confusing. It's kind of a payment thing. And to me, that shows you the business model is not great when people are giving you cash to use their service. 
uh, you would want, in theory, for more of a sustainable business model. Just call me crazy. Call me crazy. Samsung is selling off its chemical and defense segments, splitting the company. Um, I'm not going to say splitting the company because that's not quite right. Just trimming some of the lower margin businesses out. Lyft had its best week ever. Lyft competes with Uber in having people come and drive you around. The service economy, peer-to-peer services. HP reported its earnings revenues missed expectations. They've got some 400 people working on splitting up the company. It's kind of a crazy process. Twitter's in talks to acquire Justin Bieber's selfie app shots. That, oh, please tell me he's not going to make like millions of dollars from this. And yet, I already know the answer to this. Yes, he is. He is the highest earner under 30 years old, pulling in $80 million. Taylor Swift pulls in $64 million. Bruno Mars, $60 million. Rihanna, $48 million. Katy Perry's going to roar at the Super Bowl this year. Roar. I don't know. Maybe that'll be a Super Bowl show I missed this year. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. No when to walk away. I know when to run. You never count your money. When you're sitting at the table, there'll be time enough for counting. When the dealing's done, you got no when to hold. Claims rose to 313,000. The four week moving average is what you really want to see and not a one week number. The four week moving average, 294,000, increased about 6,200. Still pretty good. Both the weekly total and the four week average are near their average levels for the year, well below 2013 levels. Personal income up just two tenths of a percent in October. A little bit of trouble there. Consumer spending makes up about two-thirds of our economy. And it was previously reported as declining in September, so this is a bit of a turnaround. It's a weak number, though. Justin Bieber, the highest-paid celebrity under the age of 30, just crushes my spirit. $80 million a year. For that talentless piece of... It crushes me. You can find me online at robblack.com. It's... RobBlack.com. Let's talk a little real estate. Joining me now, mortgage lender from BayAreaLoanSource.com. It's BayAreaLoanSource.com. He's the guy who does my mortgages, Tony Mendez. Tony Mendez, let's talk a little rental properties. Hi, Rob. Hello? Rental properties. What's the word mean to you or the words mean to you? Investment property. And I think that's something that you it, that should be the first thing that you think about. Investment. You're getting a rate of return on what you're putting into the property. So okay. you, you come up with a down payment. You put it in the buy the property. You get some good tax benefits, some interest, mortgage interest deductions, and then you have what's left over. 
and that's your cash flow. In your world of lending, who comes to you that's looking for investment property or rental property? There's a lot of different people. Uh, we have you know the, the husband and wife that are looking for a second home. Um, and they say, you know what, we're going to buy this as an investment property for a while and then maybe retire in it or something like that. And then we have some people who just want to have extra money and they want to buy some rental property because it's something maybe their parents have done. Um, a lot of people that are in rental properties now are people who have experienced that through either family members or friends, uh, and they get exposure that way. I live in part of the Bay Area that I would not buy homes as rental properties, but I would buy apartments as rental properties. Right. Um, I have a differentiation in my head. I don't think my home, I'll be honest with you, I don't think it's going to appreciate it in the next 10 years unless I see some really big wage inflation across the upper middle class and the lower upper class. And right now, that's just not working out that way. Multifamily was a one of the reasons we saw new home sales go up. It was really, not new home sales, I'm sorry, construction. Right. And it was leading the way. We had 60% of new home construction was multifamily units because of the pure fact that rents were rising and there was a demand for this type of product. That's why over the last few years, we saw a lot of, almost 30 to 35% of properties bought in the Bay Area were cash. Okay. Cash properties. And it's still like that right now because people are buying not only distressed properties, but they're buying rental units because rents are so strong here. Something that I find sick and vile are real estate clubs because they're kind of luring in the average person saying, you too can buy real estate just like Donald Trump. And it's maybe not that much of a sales pitch or maybe not that glossy, but I find them kind of vile. And I saw in 2004, 2005, 2006, yeah. a, a lot of people join these things trying to get wealthy and not having enough money to understand that it's an investment, and you're investing yep. in the income that comes out of it, you're not investing in the potential appreciation of the property. And a lot of those ended up as private REITs as well, uh, where they're the people who are making more of the money with the people who are actually getting the transaction. Right. Um, so what you're saying there, that sometimes you'll hear about people that advertise clubs and scenarios, and they'll say, I'll buy property for you, and they'll do... And help you get the loan and, and so on. And, and management fees, et cetera. So it's, there are going to be a lot more of these types of advertisings and incitements to get into, this, into the real estate business as equities increase. Here in the Bay Area, prices are going back up. So that's skewing really towards, um, I, don't want to say, I don't even know how to say this, but a lot of individuals want to own individual properties. And then some individuals want to help fund bigger projects and become a master limited partner. And I hate that. I would rather you own publicly traded REITs where you own it. Tony Mendez owns that property. He may own one one millionth of it, but he's not writing a check to a developer. He's not writing a check. And I know why you say that, because you hear a lot more horror stories than I do. You work with people on an individual basis, and you also have – you hear these horror stories. I, on the other hand, would say, you know what, I would deal with actually people who are successful at – buying rental properties, buying multi-unit properties, and managing them well and getting positive cash flows. If so, they're getting positive cash flows, and right. if they're not expecting appreciation, but it's, I agree. It's because I, I work with, and it's going to sound corny, but I work with people that have CFPs or CPAs, <laughs> yeah. and they, they actually corny. have some people that are guiding them in the right way instead of going to these kind of groups and, and feeling like they're, that it, they're just following a trend. I think if you think someone's like a real estate guru or someone has like... It, there was a guy... He owns a company in the Bay Area that he was selling property in the desert in a city that has no waterworks, that has no pipes, selling property that has no water tied towards it. Aqueduct City um, that has no aqueduct 
Mm-hmm. And people buy it thinking it's the next big thing. If you're buying the next big thing, you're probably taking a lot of risk. Now, San Luis Obispo, maybe they're the next big thing in the wine country. Maybe all that property down there will work out. But they have to have water. So I'm, <laughs> you have to calculate some of your risks in these scenarios, right? Yes, certainly do. So real quick, what does the person, what would you want to see who's looking for rental investments? Um, somebody who can, it's extra money for them okay. to spend. Um, I had somebody call me the other day, said I have about $50,000 I want to put in investment property. And we got through the whole you know, qualifying process and, and they didn't have any other money. They had some 401k, but they didn't have the ability to continue funding that if they used their, this money up and factoring the, the risk involved. You don't always get rents on a monthly basis. So That's mortgage lender Tony Mendez with BayAreaLoanSource.com. I'm Rob Black talking to all things financial. Millions of Americans are going to work on Thanksgiving and Christmas this year. About a quarter of our population. Uh, I look at this as uh, not great. There's a lot of jobs, though, in industry outside of retail. Law enforcement, healthcare, travel, utilities, freight. These are some pretty needed services. Um, and I look at it as there is some economic activity going on, but not as much as, you know, maybe we should just cancel Thanksgiving and just keep working, right? Bank earnings increased 7.3% in the United States in the third quarter. That's a pretty good number. You might remember for the last two years I've been talking about uh, you got to own some financials that I they're making too much money for you not, and they're too well positioned for the future. Now, there's some talk from Congressperson Elizabeth Warren about, you know, really fighting the banking industry on their fees and how much money they make and try to make them more of a utility and less of a company, private companies, public companies. Uh, so there's always going to be risk. Elizabeth Warren is the enemy of banks on a lot of levels. I'm Rob Black. If she, if she ever becomes president, banks would not have a good day. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. trying to say, oh yeah, it's business time. Joining me now, Dr. Jeff Rosen, Chief Economist with Briefing.com. How are you, Mr. Rosen? Oh, pretty good. How about yourself? I'm okay. Uh, uh, a lot of economic data pre-Thanksgiving. Uh, do you want to start with what you th- see as the most important pieces for us to chat about? I mean, the most important piece came from the durable goods numbers, uh, okay. specifically the shipments and production of non-defense capital goods, ex-aircraft. 
Now, over the last several, actually been about a year or so now, we've seen a decent gain in orders of equipment, but it hasn't shown up anywhere in terms of production. And in October, we had more of the same. Uh, even though orders declined rather significantly this month, I think it was a 1.3% decline. Shipments also declined 0.4%, and the number of unfilled orders uh, increased, I want to say 0.3%, 0.4% in that neighborhood. So what we're finding is that you know, there's this stockpile of equipment orders that manufacturers are not producing, and it, it doesn't make sense. You, know, you would say, okay, maybe they don't have the capacity to produce. So they, you know, they don't have excess capacity, which is requiring an increase in unfilled orders. But if you look at the industrial production report, capacity utilization rates are still you know, below pre-recession levels. They're not tight by any means necessary, meaning that you know, manufacturers, for all intents and purposes, can produce. They're just choosing not to. And that's worrisome because that means that manufacturers either believe that the unfilled orders are going to be canceled at some point in the future, and they don't want to get stuck with unwanted inventory if they manage to produce it. And overall, that, that's bad for the economy. Speaking of the economy, the U.S. seems to be doing kind of Goldilocksian. We're not too hot to create inflation. We're not too cold. We're moving in the right direction with jobs. Is, how would you describe the U.S. economy? No, just about that. I mean, we're in a okay. new normalish phase. Uh, you know, we're, we're growing overall at two, two and a half percent. We're going to see some quarters above and some quarters below, uh, which is what we've seen this year, which is what we saw last year. There's really no uh, animal spirits per se to drive economic growth higher. Uh, we still see consumers are tentative. We have you know, consumer sentiment rates that are, you know at levels that we saw prior to the recession. Meanwhile, we still see upticks in savings, and uh, debt ratios have come down, so the consumers don't need to save. They kind of understand that with their sentiment, but they continue to do so, which lowers potential growth. You know, there's just this you know, moving ahead, but nothing that we would want to see in terms of an acceleration or prolonged 3% growth trends. The cold weather in the United States, and we're seeing it in California as uh, snowstorms, delayed travel. Are we in for a scenario that could play out like last year's, where it's so cold that the first quarter GDP numbers get hit because people can't go out and buy cars? Or is it too early in the season to be predicting this? It's too early in the season from, you know, essentially one week of uh, weather patterns. Okay. But, you know, if you believe the farmer's almanac, <laughs> this year is supposed to be colder, especially in the Midwest, than last year, and uh, have worse snowfall this year than last year. And uh, I know you guys in San Francisco don't get the uh, snow that we got here in Chicago, but, uh, you know, it was a pretty crummy winter. And, you know, thinking if the almanac is correct and, you know, you got to take that with a with a big grain of salt. But if it is, you know, we could be under some serious concerns going forward. Anything else that you're working on right now, Dr. Jeff, that we should be noting? Anything that you're highlighting? Uh, I think this week is you know a typical holiday week. I think people are focusing on Black Friday. I think that's something that uh, you probably shouldn't focus on. Um, 
you know, one day's worth of sales doesn't necessarily give any indication on how trends are going to be. Even if, uh, you know, sales are spectacular, you know, we're, I, I don't know what that's going to prove. When we know overall uh, consumption growth follows income growth. So if you want to know where consumption is going to be going in, in 2015, you know, it's not how Black Friday does. It's how the income data does. It's how the uh, employment data does. And there was a little bit of a disappointment in the personal consumption data from today. We had income that came in weaker than expected. And specifically, if you look at wages, wages came in much weaker than the employment data uh, suggested. So, you know, if those numbers are true, we, we may be looking at a downward revision to the employment numbers next week uh, for October. So, you know, keeping all that in mind, you know, just don't get caught in the hype of, of Friday's sales period. You know, look, look forward, you know, beyond that. It's interesting. Uh, Amazon.com, their stock generally does really well up until Black Friday, and then it underperforms the S&P 500 for the next month. Uh, so don't get caught up in the hype. bleeds into my world as well. Uh, any big plans for you on Thanksgiving? Uh, we're hosting Thanksgiving for the first time in my life, so I actually have to cook a turkey, which I haven't done since college, and that's going to be a uh, very interesting uh, ordeal at my house. <laughs> Good luck with that. So thanks for joining me all year. Very thankful for your insights and your key economic indicators that you always kind of teach us a little bit about. Knowing that the durable goods was the important number today helps me out, and uh, I'll pass on that information as best I can. Thanks, Dr. Jeff. It's Dr. Jeff Rosen. He is the chief economist with Briefing.com. Real smart guy. Um, I think he does a really, really nice job. One area that I don't talk enough about, and I should, is should you use a debit card or should you use a credit card? on Black Friday. And I, I think even more important than just Black Friday, I just think, generally speaking, you're going to want to use a credit card. Uh, I'm stunned by how many people are in love with debit cards only. It makes no sense. And I get it. I get that credit's bad, and I get that you can get in over your head with it. So I totally get it. It's unnerving to have credit card information stolen or debit card information stolen. Um, but that's why you want to have a credit card if there's ever a chance that one does get stolen. Debit cards are linked to your checking account, and it's far easier to create a nightmare for you than credit cards. Consumers generally aren't liable for charges made with stolen card numbers as long as the, the problems report it within 60 days. There could be more headaches with debit cards because banks have 10 business days to investigate and credit funds to your account. You may be short of money for any bills that come due. 10 days is a long time to wait for some people. When your physical debit card is lost or stolen and your PIN is compromised, you've got to notify the bank within two business days in order to limit your ability to $50. Otherwise, you could lose up to $500 or even more. Credit cards also provide protection in case you're unhappy with goods or services you purchased. You can dispute a charge and withhold payment while the bank sorts things out with the merchant. Nevertheless, many people expect to avoid using credit cards for holiday shopping. Um, and again, I think it's a huge mistake. Debt-averse younger shoppers, just they don't trust themselves. They use debit cards. And I, I'm not going to like brag or anything about that, but I like using credit cards to monitor my spending 
and you know to give me points and rewards. I pay off my credit cards every month. Um, and sometimes at the end of the month, it's a little bit like, hey, i got to move money from this account to that account. And I do. But it's a little frustrating, for sure. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. I would all use, always use credit cards um, over debit cards. I'd kind of like to see debit cards go away. Oh, and those celebrity ink versions. Uh, good news, I can finally turn on CNBC again. Susie Orman is leaving the channel. Yay! Uh, personal finance expert, which is a funny statement because she's not an expert in any way, shape, or form. Uh, she's just a personal finance talker. She's poised to leave CNBC after 14 years to develop Susie Orman's Money Wars with Warner Brothers. It's going to be designed to be a weekday show, so I'm fine if she's on other channels, just as long as she's not on CNBC and, you know, she's giving advice to women and there's an audience and they're all clapping and, you go, girlfriend. Uh, I know you're saying, where does the hate come? She gives bad advice. She misleads people. She comes up with a product that makes her a lot of money. She says things like, stocks are always go higher. Uh, she was out there giving bullish advice in 2000 way too aggressively on stocks, and then she reveals she's only got 1% of her money invested in stocks. Um, she she kind of misleads people. You know, she comes up with a debit card that's going to be great for you, but then there's fees and commissions tied towards everything you do with it, and that's not helpful. Um, I hate the way she wears pants, but no, no. You're saying the way she wears pants. No, no. She actually wears pants as shirts. I don't understand her fashion sense at all. I don't understand her year permatan. It's disconcerting. I've been in studio with her where she's just a mean, mean person um, to others around her. Not necessarily her, but her handler. Um, she pushes a debt repair kit for 60 plus dollars that you can get for free by googling how do I repair my debt I just don't like her I'm Rob Black Thanks for listening to the show. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, insurance, college planning, dying and taxes, and anything else that can kind of be pushed around as far as financial content goes. Spring in CFP, Chad Burton. How are you, Mr. Burton? Doing well. Have my uh, liquid sleep that I'm trying to drink right now. What is liquid sleep? Coffee. That's what I need today. 
one of those days you just can't fall asleep, you know, those wonderful days. <laughs> I woke up at 1 a.m. last night and didn't get back to bed. Ah, oh, man, tough getting old, huh? I'm getting it into a great mental meltdown coming soon. Uh, <laughs> it's not going to be good. Although I was it's pleased happened. to see Suze Orman leaving CNBC. And today is Chad's birthday, everyone. No, it's not. Drop. I can't was it yesterday? Year, so. Oh, yeah. How old is he? 16. <laughs> Thank you. We should come out with a, a fragrance, you and I. Sell it on radio. <laughs> Call it Forever Burton Teen. Black. Burton, Burton and Black sounds like a law firm and definitely doesn't sound like a fragrance. Well, you could smell of money or rich mahogany. Yep, leather bound books. Leather bound books. So let's talk about 2015. I talked a little bit about in the first segment, you know, some of the risks that I see. China, probably, you know, the one that would hurt us the most, maybe not the most likely. The most likely is that Europe continues to stagnate. But I hit some other issues in there as well, including political risk with Putin and with ISIS. What are some of the things uh, that you're looking at for 2015? Well, it all kind of leads to there's there's still a lot of older people that are taking too much risk. Um, Just took over a portfolio that was by a well-known money management firm that rhymes with DISH, um, where we had a 75-year-old with almost 100% invested in stocks and no idea of the risk that is there. Now, if you take risk and you look at it over a 20-year period, um, your, your odds are pretty good in the stock market. The issue is, is how do you react when you have a significant decline? And we keep talking about this because it's, it's just a reminder for people to rebalance their portfolios and maintain their risk um, because risk will pay off over time if you don't have a negative reaction to it and sell at the bottom. And what's going on now is a lot of people are being pushed towards, you know, high dividend paying stocks. And you look at some of the, um, you know, cell phone related stocks. Just take a look at AT&T and Verizon, for example, when we had the that stupid thing called the taper tantrum, right? When interest rates jumped rapidly for a short period of time and then fell below where they were in 2013. Those stocks were down double digits and people are buying them for the yield of, you know, the four to five percent plus. Interest rate increases and, and volatility can kind of shake people. And when people get, when people retire and they look at their portfolios, you naturally become more risk adverse because you go from putting money into your retirement savings every single paycheck to having now a limited resource that's got to last longer than you do. And I think people tend to forget that after a five year bull run. It's like people forget that at a bottom of the stock market starts are very attractive for the long run. So it's just a matter of revisiting and maintaining your overall, um, you know, risk and what you can deal with. Because a couple of things that, that we've got to deal with in 2015 is fights with Congress and the president, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we're trying to get extended here is the ability for people that have a required minimum distribution um, the last several years, people have been able to roll that directly over to charity so it doesn't affect their taxes. And charities have loved this. Those types of – when the market is doing well and there's tax incentives and the economy is booming, charitable gifts are way up by wealthy people. I see it in my own clientele. But now we can't – the House has passed the ability to do that. The Senate has still not passed it. And I've got somebody that's sitting there with a large IRA that wants to give $111,000 to charity 
a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, our soldiers and, uh, you know, taking care of them. And they're just waiting. They're waiting, and they might not be able to do it. They might have to take the distribution, pay taxes on it, and give, you know, the difference, which is about 60% of the amount to charity after all is said and done because they got to pay taxes on it. So continued fights with Congress, uh, between Congress and the president. Continued currency war without currency hedging in the portfolio. So that's another issue. I mean, I don't know if you've already talked about currencies in the more emerging markets. I mean, you look at emerging markets, you got P ratios on average of 10. If you look at the EM um, ETF, and uh, 10 actually about 12 versus 17 here in the U.S. So there's some value over there, but currency is the issue right now. With that said, there's some, you know, it's going to be interesting 2015. Um, nothing to panic over. I've got an email that I think you might be able to give an interesting answer to. Um, this one comes to me from a man who just inherited 22 ounces in South African Krugerrands, and he wants to know how to get rid of them. He doesn't want to own the, the physical gold coins. Okay, well, if it was me, first of all, and I already had a diversified portfolio and I was, you know, okay for retirement, I'd probably hold on to gold. Uh, I think gold is, if we look out 20, 30 years, is really low right now. I think it's a hedge against what could happen in the future, which is inflation. And because gold is at a low, he's going to be selling. And not only when he sells, he's also going to pay a transaction to get rid of the physical gold. So... um, Based on the currency, you know, printing around the world, I would probably hold on to it if you don't need the money in the next 10, 15, 20 years. Um, Thanks very much. You can find Chad at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. If you want to submit a portfolio, you can take a look at it. You can go to newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And you can listen to a show basically Monday through Friday here at noon on the station. Have a good Thanksgiving, everyone. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.